Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the art of the possible in security for 2022 and beyond. We can do things like implement attribute-based access control uh, at scale. We can understand how our users are using resources uh, you know, to a level of fidelity that, that was a little bit more difficult to do in older architectures. And the Defense Logistics Agency's digital transformation ends never. I don't think you ever stop transforming. I, I think if you look at the old model of how the government has done IT, there is a start and end date for initiatives. And I think Part of why we call it digital business transformation is a continuous effort. It's Monday, April 25th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, sponsored by AWS in collaboration with Applied Insight and Boeing. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency has new guidelines for its software builders, the NGA Software Way is a supplement to its technology strategy, according to the agency. The 12-page document includes metrics and guides to the agency's policies for building software. A new Defense Department website will show the private sector how it can connect with the department more easily. CTOinnovation.mil will supply what the department calls a one-stop shop to access DOD's innovation ecosystem. The department says the site will have a, quote, special focus on students, universities, and businesses. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. IT leaders from CISA and HHS headline the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference happening May 19th. It's at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Defense Department's new Office of the Defense Innovation Unit is open for business in Chicago. It's the latest effort the department has made to integrate commercial solutions into the Pentagon's operations. Chad Bowden is chief engineer for DevSecOps at Boeing. Chris Smith is director of engineering at Applied Insight. Applied Insight sponsoring today's Daily Scoop podcast in collaboration with AWS. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Chris, I want to start with you. The pre-made solution is gaining more and more popularity in the federal government. Why is that? And what's the advantage to agencies that want to use something that's already been created rather than creating from scratch? Welcome. Thanks, Francis. Uh, appreciate being here. So I think the biggest value proposition for a lot of these agencies is uh, really kind of leveraging lessons learned. You know, so for instance, some of the work that we do, we've been doing for you know a number of years with with federal customers, FedCiv, DoD, intelligence community. So we've really seen kind of how they've approached cloud adoption um, across the board. You know, the things that they they kind of look at um, are relatively similar across organizations. So really, it's that that uh, you know that long term kind of exposure to those challenges and really making that part of the product and the offering. Chad, how much of this is workforce? How much of this is going out and finding or not needing to go out and find the people in order to staff up trying to do something, build something completely on their own? Yeah, that's that, that's, that's a hard, hard solution, right? Every engineers like to build things. I'm an engineer. I want to build things. And and it's it's tempting to want to go build things on your own. Um, but it's it's hard to find talent. Everyone's struggling for talent this, these days, whether or not it's software developers or site reliability engineers, cloud engineer experts. So uh, having that that bench of staff that's ready and that can build these solutions at enterprise level um, and hopefully pre-build and utilize existing enterprise services is really the key. 
um, building things, making sure you're in compliance with DFARS and NIST and all the security compliances and quality gates in place. That takes real effort and it's not a, a you know one or two month, month deal. So uh, having those ready to go off the shelf to provide to your customers is a real value. Chris, most of the time when people think about solutions in this way, they're either thinking about saving time or saving money. Are those the best two metrics? Are those the only two metrics that organizations should consider? Or are there, are there others? And, and if those are the two, how does one analyze whether something achieves either or both of those? Well, that's a great question. So I think they're really important metrics, obviously. Um, but I think ultimately, especially when we're talking public sector, are you going to be able to achieve your mission with the technology? At the end of the day, we're doing all these things to get to an end state to deliver a service or capability. So time is part of that, you know, kind of cutting down that uh, time to delivery, time to market. Um, um, security is obviously a huge piece of everything that we do from the ground up when we're talking about migrating workloads to cloud or developing new solutions. So realistically, um, all of those things, though, at the end of the day, come back to can you accomplish your mission? So I think that, you know, that's got to be kind of a key measurement of, of success. Another thing, Chris, that people are thinking about in this way, as far as getting to mission is, do I need to do the mission or should I even do the mission in the same way that I've done it before? This is the concept of business process transformation. What streamlining opportunities do you see? What efficiency opportunities do you see in these kinds of transitions, transformations? So this is an interesting one, especially when we're talking commercial cloud services. Uh, kind of the paradigm's a little different, right? You know, a lot of the teams that are in place at federal organizations, um, you know, really public sector organizations, they've been building technology capabilities the same way for quite a while, right? So um, I think managing complexity is probably, you know, probably one of the most challenging aspects to to moving to the cloud. So having a trusted partner with capabilities that can help you establish that cloud program management office that understands how to map those traditional security controls and compliance requirements to technologies and processes that are different than what the organization's used to seeing, uh, that, that's really beneficial and it goes back to kind of that taking care of that undifferentiated heavy lifting piece. Chad? Yeah, I'll, I'll add on to that as well. I, I think most of your listeners know that today's today's mission and environment where you're doing that mission it, it is not yesterday's or was not yesterday's it's 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 an incredibly changing landscape as chris mentioned going into the cloud um, and working with different government agencies and customers they have different level of maturities of where they're ready to go and so there's there's a, there's a big um there's a big effort there involved in working with your customer and understanding what they're comfortable with, where they want to go, and then progressing into that environment. Because you can't just come with, okay, we're going to do a CICD DevSecOps software factory that can start deploying to ops uh, with every code change. That that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Uh, and so it's it's working to get to that with them and, and, and doing that crawl, walk, one, run uh, approach. So that crawl, walk, run approach takes me back to something that Chris said a moment ago, Chad, and that's talking about managing complexity. That's one of the most maybe important byproduct. I don't know that anybody has ever said, I'm going to move something to the cloud or change this process to make it simpler as job one. It's, it's usually time and money, but that certainly is a very desirable byproduct, right? And I wonder how much of that becomes maybe that if, if those other two are one and are issues one and two, if maybe managing complexity becomes number three or two a simplifying processes, is that a fair read on my part? Yeah. Complexity is certainly um, 
a consideration there. Uh, a lot of customers are, are maybe under the misguided impression that they can lift and shift from their on-prem environment into the cloud uh, and everything is going to operate the same. And so there, there, there's a lot of compliance and, and governance regulations that, that have to be met when you move into the cloud environment that aren't necessarily the same when you're on-prem. Uh, and that's, that's where, you know, having some of these ready-made solutions can really help out because a lot of those have been, you know, handled for you, whether rather than you having to go in there and stub your toe all over the place and figure out where to find the light switch. Chris, what is the security component of this? The two things that people talk about the most regarding uh, security are um, identity management, access stuff, and the other element is uh, just knowing that the people that are on the network are supposed to be on the network and, and where they're going within uh, that network. What does that look like in a solution that's kind of already been mostly or completely cooked for somebody? How much say, for example, does a public sector organization get to have in building something like that? No, that's a great question. So, you know, you hear a lot of talk about zero trust, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things you're talking about are the pillars of zero trust. And that, that's obviously something that's kind of table stakes moving forward with a lot of the uh, you know, public sector work. So, you know, baking those capabilities in, but doing it in a way that's transparent, um, you know, bringing the knowledge to the table, bringing the technology with that knowledge, having the ability to educate um, you know, the customer as well as the customer's partners, um, and then providing that, that solution uh, really kind of decreases timelines, right? Mapping, backing it back to like reference architectures and artifacts that everyone's used to seeing, you know, that can be challenging, but there's a great value in doing that. Um, And then working with partners like, you know, AWS, right? They've done a lot of work on figuring out how to, you know, explain how these things are working behind the scenes to government customers. So inheriting a lot of the work they've done, making it part of your solution, building on that and kind of packaging that up. Um, that's that's key in terms of, of helping the customer kind of achieve their mission. Chris, what's the state of the art today in reconciling that, which sounds, at least on the surface to an amateur like me, as adding complexity to the idea of managing complexity, as you talked about it a moment ago? How do you, I, I'm not suggesting it's not reconcilable, but I wonder how you mm-hmm. do that. So I, there's some interesting opportunities uh, for things like observability uh, because of the way that we're interacting with you know identities and resources at the network and, and application layers. Um, we can do things like implement attribute-based access control uh, at scale. We can understand how our users are using resources uh, you know to a level of fidelity that that was a little bit more difficult to do in older architectures. So you're right in that there can be additional complexity in initially deploying and architecting these solutions. Um, but I think when you go with a ready-made solution, uh, you, you kind of cut that down and then you, you gain a whole bunch of other you know, advantages in terms of understanding your operational environment. Chad, the organizations that are doing this well already, whether it's public sector or private sector, what are they doing? Are there common themes among the steps that they take, the strategies they employ, the way that they work their partnerships with vendors, all of that, that leads to success? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start on the, the DOD side. Um, there, there's some big changes that have happened over the last couple of years on the DOD side with the, the reference architecture. The DOD put out a DevSecOps reference architecture that most contractors have been using as their guiding light um, to develop these environments. Um, and, and there's a lot of goodness in there. Uh, they also have some ready-made tool suites that they have um, are providing that you can take and then build on top of to provide some of these you know, hardened, um, secure environments where you can start doing this software development. 
another huge thing is having your customer shoulder to shoulder with you. So, right, you go into AWS and it's a somewhat of a neutral ground, right? It's not a Boeing environment that, that you know, they have to like VPN into your network or something, right? It's it's common access for, for all in that environment. So your, your customer's there shoulder to shoulder with you and you have, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's rarely just one one contractor running a program anymore. It's multiple contractors. So you have Boeing and Lockheed and Northrop and Raytheon and, you know, all working in the same environment on the same mission for that program. And, and everybody can see what's going on transparently. So, so some of those, some of these, you know, environments that are in place have really sped along program development. That's not to say that there's not new problems with the environment, right? Because there's always new problems. Um, but it, but it, that, that shoulder to shoulder partnership is, has really been huge. Chad Bowden, Chris Smith, thank you both very much for joining me today. Great to have you on the program. Thank you. Thanks, Francis. You can read more about innovation and commercial solutions at DOD in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Amazon Web Services offers the most complete set of machine learning and AI services for customer experience, productivity, and innovation. More than 100,000 customers, including civilian agencies, the intelligence community, and DOD, choose AWS. Think AWS for every app. Visit aws.amazon.com federal to learn more. The Defense Logistics Agency is six months into a digital business transformation. That transformation includes almost every aspect of operations at the agency. Daryl Roberts is Program Executive Officer for DLA Information Operations. Daryl, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program today. What have you accomplished so far in the six months that you've been into this effort? What are some of your benchmarks, your mileposts? Welcome. Well, first, thanks for having me, Francis. Um, always excited to talk about the great things we're doing with DLA. Um, our digital business transformation journey um, is a long one. It, it's something that we're very dedicated to. And I think some of the things I like to highlight that we've accomplished, um, a, a huge milestone for us in the past six months, has been migrating our ERP um, to the cloud. Um, we actually had a 24-month schedule to do so. And um, we accomplished that in about 16 months to, to move the entire ERP, as well as our electronic data warehouse and our data analytics tools. Um, they're all now migrated to the cloud operating. And it's a huge accomplishment for us because, as you know, um, we did this during a pandemic. So it was all done virtually with all of our commercial partners um, and our workforce across the country. And we also did that while DLA um, was supporting COVID operations as well as some um, UCOM operations as well. And so the ability for the team, the agency to stay dedicated to transformative efforts while also continuing today's mission is a um, source of pride we take here within DLA um, that we're able to think about the future while supporting current mission. Um, some other things that we've done, we've also taken on um, redoing our customer service module. So those that are familiar with um, calling DLA's customer interactive center, our CIC, uh, we actually transitioned them to a modern customer portal, which allows for customers to do self-service, to have transparency. Um, we can do more automation in terms of bots, AI, machine learning, 
um, so that you can have real-time assessments of where your things are in VLA in terms of delivery. And so we're really excited about that um, because it's going to allow for us to be more transparent with our customers in terms of how they're doing business with VLA. And of course, our biggest thing right now that we're doing in production is our warehouse modernization effort. Um, this is a wholesale do-over of our, which was previously a government code um, distribution center system. Uh, we're now using a, a commercial version of software, which will allow us to really create some efficiencies and take advantage of what they call goods demand processes and real-time location systems and automation. And so much more similar technology that you expect in Amazon type warehousing, large UPS, FedEx type operations. Um, we're now putting that in place with our WMS project here at DLA. I want to ask you about that last one first. There's a lot of meat there, Daryl, to cover, but I, I, a lot of times over the years, people have said, well, government's special and we're different than the private sector and so on. How did you go about analyzing the actual differences between what goes on in a DLA warehouse and what goes on in, say, an Amazon or a Walmart warehouse to determine whether that solution would be um, good for you off the shelf, good for you with modification, and obviously you didn't make this choice, but um, or decide that it wasn't the wasn't the right fit. What were the what were the uh, data points? What were the fact points that you analyzed to make that decision? No, it's a great question. I think the first thing that we had to realize in ourselves that warehouse operations are warehouse operations, whether you're commercial or government, you know, having deliveries to a warehouse, accounting for the inventory inside the warehouse and shipping things out of the warehouse and knowing that and accounting for that inventory throughout those three phases, that's universal. Whether you're in a military, federal or commercial space, um, that's something that's universal to us all. And so when you look at it from a technology perspective, there wasn't a lot of evidence there that justified doing wholesale government. Um, but we did, we also recognized from an accountability perspective for us, there are just some things that industry is not required to do that we are um, as stewards of the taxpayers' dollars. And so we have, we really stress business process reengineering through strong governance from a leadership perspective all the way down to the user uh, that we're holding ourselves accountable to do a real review of where we can't exercise commercial technology. And if we can't, we document that and then we actually do the customization as needed um, and not as a, as a rule. Is it fair for me then to derive from that, that at least in the case of the experience that you had, the main differentiator between using something off the shelf or using something that you need to modify is the kind of the extra layer of accountability, transparency, and so on that's required in a public sector uh, environment that's not required in a private sector environment. Is that a reasonable conclusion for me to derive? It, it is. Um, as you know, the NDA guides our activities, our regulations, and our policies. And so some of that accountability, some of the special things that we have to do from a security perspective, um, you know, some of our deliveries, we can't use commercial providers. So sometimes we will have to use 
um, military transportation um, via transcom to make deliveries, um, depending on where we are. You know, some of our deliveries are going into hostile environments. And so um, there are things we have to accommodate from a, a public sector perspective that commercial providers don't have to account for. Um, and then DLA's mission is unique in the sense that some of our supply items, when you talk about national stockpile and things of that nature for national disasters or pandemics, um, we're not meant to get rid of those items. We, we need to store those items. And when you look at it commercially, when they have warehousing, you know, their goal is to get as many products out of the warehouse as possible. And that's not always the case when you're in public service um, because we're, we need to be at the ready when things like COVID and other national disasters um, happen to the nation. I want to go back to the first thing that you mentioned to Daryl, the ERP cloud migration. You said 24 months was the target, 16 months was your reality. If I turn those numbers around, there are organizations in government that wouldn't have been able to do it in 61 months, let alone 16 months. And I don't mean to imply that there was any kind of um, corner cutting or any kind. There's got to be some secret sauce, though, in order to do that the way that you did that. So do you have you been able to quantify what that secret sauce might be? Um, I'd say secret sauce for us is definitely our people. Um, And then I would say leadership. And then I would say commitment. Um, we, we knew our goal. We knew what we needed to do. And um, we didn't accept the excuses as to push the ball to the right. Um, there were several occasions where we could do it. Um, but we, we made the conscious decision that this was important to the agency. It was important to our transformation efforts. Um, and we had strong enough leadership across the agency as well as the dedication of the staff to really push us to do this as fast as possible. Because while it's a major accomplishment, it wasn't the goal. It's the first step. But the, the real goal is now going through business process reengineering and finding efficiency so that we can actually operate more effectively, efficiently to provide the support services um, to the nation. So, and that's at the point of what I wanted to get at next, Daryl, because the last time you and I talked about this, you made it very clear. The point of this transformation is not just to do digital transformation. The point is to take a fresh look at the way that you do business, change those processes, and then digitize those. How are you going about establishing, we want to do this thing that we've been doing this way, a different way, and then think about digitizing that. What does that look? Because the technology, it strikes me, is not difficult. That's out there. That's available. But you guys are the only experts on how the Defense Logistics Agency has to fulfill its mission and how it supports its customers. So it strikes me that's that's job one at the core of all of this stuff, all the way back to the beginning of that ERP trans uh, uh, migration and everything, right? It is. And, and, and I think what we've, um, like most organizations are going to find as they go through transformation, um, we put a lot of focus on our culture. Um, if you don't set the right culture to be transformative, then it doesn't matter what technology you bring to the table. It doesn't matter what timelines you put on the workforce um, or your projects. 
Um, if you don't nurture a strong culture and understanding of why you're doing it, how it benefits the agency um, and the nation, um, your digital business transformation efforts will fail. I think if you talk to most people that um, are in public service, um, the first thing you learn about public service is it's about the greater we than I and what's, what's best for the whole. And so part of this transformation effort and setting that culture is understanding there may be more difficulty, there may be transitions in the near term for us individually and personally as we go through this, but, you know, Every, most people that you'd speak to in public sector and, you know, as a veteran, some of the things you talk about in the military is you want to leave the organization better than when I first arrived and prepare the nation for the next fight. And that's what we're doing here. Um, we, we're talking about IT, but if you look at the world today and how things are working, nothing gets done without technology. And so we have to do our part to make sure from a business perspective and doing the business of the department that we put the nation in, in a better position to be ready for the next fight. And that starts with culture. And so that's at the center of all of our activities at DLA when we talk about digital business transformation. Daryl, you said a couple of minutes ago that there were occasions where the deadlines could have slid to the right and, and as an organization, you didn't let that happen. How did you get around those uh, obstacles, excuses, however, whatever you want to call them, and stay on track and stay ahead of track um, to to hit your target. I think we we just confronted the issue head on. We we had senior level discussion about what those impacts would be, what the pros and cons would be of sliding the schedule to the right, um, what the pros and cons would be of not sliding the schedule to the right, how that would impact the workforce. Um, how do you motivate the workforce while doing that? Because it's hard enough to do these type of activities when you have the ability to be in person. It was extremely difficult to do that with trading partners and staff completely virtually. And so we, we just had the hard conversations as a leadership team. And we had open, transparent communications with the staff. Um, as they were going through that. I mean, senior leaders, we were on the phone on weekends with the staff as they were doing the, you know, we did our transitions in 72-hour increments on weekends. And um, as senior leaders, including my staff, myself, we were on the phone, you know, 10 o'clock at night, 6 o'clock in the morning, um, checking in with the staff to make sure that, hey, things are going well, where you need our support, just making sure they knew we weren't just giving directions and going about our business. We were part of the process as well. And so I think when you show that top-down commitment um, to these type of efforts, that's how you can work through and, and, and do things that you never thought you could do. You mentioned some of the tools that you're using to improve customer experience, uh, bots, AI, machine learning, and so on. How did you avoid in implementing those technologies the temptation to use cool technologies to solve problems. How did you start with the problem solving and add the technology rather than vice versa? So I think it, it, it's definitely a, an art more than a science when you talk <laughs> about those type things. Um, I, I think in most cases you like to start with the problem and then say, okay, where do you get the solution? But I think in there, there's other instances where 
sometimes you see the technology like, hey, that actually solves my problem. And so I think for us, it's really understanding our use cases and having those conversations and documenting, hey, what's our use case? What are our business processes that we really think are our problem areas? And what are things that are really routine that we do on a daily basis here at DLA that give us an opportunity to free up our work workforce so that they can work on those really complex problems that, you know, because you're having a daily churn of, of doing day-to-day administrative things, you really can't solve the hard problem because you don't have time to sit down and think about it. And so that's really been our approach here at DLA is what are the things that we really can take out of the routine so that our professionals can really sit down and solve the hard problems that can move the needle for how DLA can be better at what we did. What's your ongoing customer engagement to make sure that the changes that you're making, that the transformation that you're undertaking really does solve their needs? I imagine it's not just let's apply this technology, you slap your hands together and move on to the next thing. No, absolutely not. So one of the things we did um, about a year ago, we've established a change agent network working with our um, human resources department. And so that network has representatives from each of our major subordinate commands and our um, headquarters J-Code staff, which work in concert with our digital business transformation governance group. So that as these initiatives are started, as they progress through their life cycles, we have a method and, and a process by how we communicate that to the workforce, how we train the workforce, and how we support them post-deployment throughout this journey. What's next in your timeline? You're six months into this transformation. Is there an end date, or do you keep transforming over time, and what are the next kind of big marks that you want to hit, Adaryl? So I'd say our next major um, milestone in our transformation journey, uh, we're going to do some soft openings of our WMS at our Corpus Christi site. later, um, early this summer, late May, early June timeframe. And so that's the next major milestone for us. We also plan to roll out um, the transparent interactive version of our customer service module uh, by the end of this um, fiscal year in September. And in terms of the end date for the the transformation journey, I don't think you ever stop transforming. I, I think if you look at the old model of how the government has done IT, there is a start and end date for initiatives. And I think part of why we call it digital business transformation is it's a continuous effort. And, and that that way we don't get into the need to always start and stop programs and have this huge big lift to get to where we need to, to go in the future. And so um, the digital business transformation journey itself, I think, is continuous in its cycle and will evolve as the agency and the nation needs us to. And, you know, a big part of that, I think you've heard it across other agencies, is how to utilize data proactively um, in the future. And so we're working with our CDAO, um, Dr. Lindsay Saul, that she works with DOD CDAO office to really make sure we understand our data, make sure it's architected correctly so that we can make the best use of AI and predictive analytics in support of what we're doing. A lot going on at DLA. Daryl, I appreciate you coming on to talk about what you're working on today. Thanks for your time.
No, thanks for having us, Francis, and look forward to talking to you soon. You can read more about the digital transformation at the Defense Logistics Agency in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your shows. And if you really like the show, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps more people find the program. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast, back tomorrow afternoon. Until then... I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.